opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, November the 25th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams is producing this. Come on with an edition of Open Line. So if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air, 273-5211, or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, one 590 VOCM, which is 8626. Well, I know there's been some pretty heavy snow in different parts of the province. Just enough on the ground here in Metro to make it messy and greasy, and it absolutely is greasy out there this morning. If you can picture in your mind's eye the intersection of Newfoundland Drive and Portugal Cove Road, if you're heading north... It's a very slight upgrade. It's a very slight grade, right? So a little bit of tiny uphill to get up through that intersection and up on the Cove Road. The car in front of me this morning, they were already stopped there before I arrived, so I had no idea what to expect. But lo and behold, the light turns green, and just with the light dusting of snow on the ground, that car didn't move two feet. We all had to back up and go around them. Obviously, the baloney skin, all-season tires on, so... Get your swinters, your snow tires on ASAP. And people always, you know, beg this question this time of year. And I know times are tight. And trying to have a couple of different sets of tires is expensive. No doubt about it. But, you know, between public safety and just the ability to get around town, I guarantee you that person this morning is maybe still there. But they are going nowhere in a hurry. And they are putting themselves and everyone else on the road at risk. You wonder what the conversation surrounding mandatory no, people don't like the mandates mandatory winter tires i don't know you want to talk about it let's go uh, belated happy thanksgiving to our american friends uh, living here in the province it slipped my mind yesterday but uh, happy thanksgiving to you and down in the united states of course a big part of thanksgiving day is football a trio of nfl games on yesterday and coincidentally it was today in 1979 that pat summerall and john madden first joined forces in the broadcast booth they lasted for 22 years and john madden Really one of the legends of the game, and his name continues on with his featured John Madden football. So for the first time ever, Summerall and Madden in the broadcast booth, 79. All right, today is also Black Friday. Black Friday used to be pretty much an American thing, right? Now very much entrenched in Canadian retail as well. You think back to the beginning of the pandemic, and then very shortly after things got interrupted globally... There was a lot of shortages up for a lot of retailers. You know, the shelves were kind of bare. And now all of a sudden, they have the exact same, the exact opposite problem. Now they have a ton of stock. And the deals today, so-called retail consultants and experts will say, the deals are going to be better than ever today and maybe throughout the Christmas buying season. You know, so I guess the deals are a result of the fact that we're pinching pennies. Virtually everyone I know is pinching pennies. Everything's so out of whack. So today there might indeed be some pretty significant deals, electronics and others, if you're in the marketplace today. They are sitting on some heavy inventory. And they know full well, unless the deal is a great deal, people will probably not buy it this go-around. But anyway, Black Friday it is. And the Christmas season really kicks off when VOCM Cares hosts his Dial Carol. And that comes up this Sunday from 1 to 6. You can already start making donations at VOCM, uh, VOCMcares.com forward slash donate. And of course, we'll be on air on Sunday afternoon. I'm going to put in an hour at 1 o'clock. You know, request your favorite holiday or Christmas carol. Make a donation. It's going to go to the Community Food Sharing Association this year. And we know the important work they do. So Dial a Carol. And I heard this morning that uh, the folks at Holy Heart are putting off their first Christmas play ever. They're doing Miracle on 34th Street. That's a Christmas classic, to say the very least. I guess a matinee for the students today, and I believe it's an open performance this evening. 
But break a leg to the performers involved in Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, I've watched it, I don't know, a dozen times for sure. What's the holiday classic that you watch every year? I know full well this is not a Christmas mo- uh, movie, but... I don't think I've missed uh, watching The Sound of Music ever in my life over the Christmas holidays, but anywho. And this morning just popped in my mind, you know, I don't mind the winter, personally, and I've never considered traveling anywhere but beyond going to visit family. Like, for instance, uh, when we're in Alberta, we try to get home sometimes for Christmas. But today I had the distinct feeling a beach holiday for Christmas sounds just about right, even though I don't have the time or money to do it, but anywho. And let's see, they're talking about opening up Marble Mountain on the 28th of this month. Conditions are looking good. It would be the earliest opening date in 10 years, and everybody knows Marble could use a great season. They've had some real bugaboos in the last number of years. Breakdowns, lack of snow, and what have you, so good luck to the crowd at Marble. We'll see you sometime over the winter. And of course, the conversation about what becomes of Marble and their 12-month year-round offering and whether or not a private entity is able to step in and take over operations without the government subsidy. Anyway, there you go. Yesterday, boy. Yesterday, we were told, of course, at Newfoundland Labrador Hydro, we're going to once again test the Labrador Island link. And yesterday was going to be a 700-megawatt load. Schedule happened between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., And basically, the Labrador Island link does not work. So to hear from Hydro, they say that there was a uh, protection monitoring system kicked in to protect the rest of the grid. So ultimately, this is a significant setback. Hydro says so as well. The entire project is absolutely cursed, isn't it? I mean, we still haven't figured out what's going on in Soldier's Pound, let alone the software on the Labrador Island link. So what does this mean? Ultimately, I suppose, the financial implications will have to be settled in the court of law. And I wonder what the issues would be with our partners across the Maritime Link with Amera and Nova Scotia Power. They've been sitting there waiting for full complement delivery that we owe them as a result of their $1.5 billion investment in the on-time, on-schedule, on-budget Maritime Link. But this is heading to the courts, you would have to think. All right. You know, there's so many programs out there now encouraging Canadians and, yes, people in this province to convert from heating their home with oil to electricity. You know, when Muskrat eventually, if ever, comes online in full, some people, I think, are asking themselves this question. You know, I don't know what the future of the price of a furnace oil is going to be or a liter of gasoline or a liter of diesel or anything else, but how expensive is is electricity going to be? You know, I think when people are doing the math... They look at the forecast, and even with the $5.2 billion package that the federal government put forward there, I guess it was last year maybe, still means that we're going to be paying before long because even if it starts at 17 cents, is that the number? Or is it 14.5 cents? It's going to increase 2% every year no matter what, and that's only including the Musgrave Falls plan as opposed to any other inputs that will influence the price. So... If oil comes back to worth a bit, electricity is guaranteed going to spike at some point in this province. People will do that evaluation. And another fellow puts forward, I think, an interesting observation with people. And this is not going to happen overnight. We know it to be true. But if there's more and more people will move to, say, potentially electric vehicle. And what what swath of the 48,000 homes heated by oil will make this conversion? And how can the grid keep up with it? Do we have the capacity? Does that mean that Holyrood never goes away if we have more and more reliance on electricity being uh, driven and, of course, consumed, whether it be in vehicles or in your home? So some interesting things there. And a lot of this, of course, boils back to, 
you know, the Greener Homes grant and the new five, up to $5,000 to make the conversion. And yes, the federal carbon tax that's coming to play July the 1st of 2023. Plenty of consternation out there amongst the general community about the fact that in particular, there'll be no exemption for home heating fuels. Now, for folks like for, for seniors in particular, if they don't have the capacity and don't want to take on the loans, because there are some interest-free loans opportunities in the Greener Homes Grant, but if you don't have the money to make the conversion, because even if you stack the programs that are in place, and even if you consider the financing, for some, for many, it's still out of reach. So for the seniors that are struggling today, what's that going to mean next winter? Because the messaging from the federal liberals is a little bit wonky in that. You know, they say, don't worry about this winter. Okay, I might not have to worry about the carbon tax heat in my home this winter, but I will next winter because winter comes every year. So that messaging is not sitting well with many. You want to take it on this morning? We can do it. Okay. This doesn't have a whole lot to do with whatever's going on between the Diamond Group of companies necessarily, and they want to purchase the Stephenville Airport. You know, you know the deal. The investments and the numbers of jobs are talking and manufacturing of these big cargo drones. But Trevor Murphy who's been the chair of the board at Steamville Airport for quite some time at this moment, he stepped down. He's going to remain as a director. Then you talk about the fact that the first announcement is at least 14 months ago from Carl Diamond. They say there's some insolvency proceedings inside the courts, which is holding things up. Mayor Tom Rose and others in the area potentially are possibly still pretty bullish on this project. Others, of course, have long been very dismissive and cynical about it. I don't know where it's going to land. I have no earthly idea. It is funny, though, that the purchase has not even been completed, but yet the name the airport has changed but anyway not only the airport potential business but just i maybe it's a concerted effort for an email campaign because for the longest while well for instance when john recently first approached the province and put forward a project called world energy gh2's green hydrogen plant there was immediate headline grabbing there was immediate pushback mostly because people don't and including me don't really understand the green hydrogen business you know we know what forestry and mining and oil looks like because we've been there and there's nothing clean and there's nothing perfect and there's always going to be environmental sensitivities but in the last 24 hours i've got 100 emails saying that no to the project maybe it's a concerted email campaign i really don't know maybe just people based on the most recent information session where there was pretty loud chorus of no's being rung throughout the hall but anyway you want to take it on i'm into it um again unscientifically based on just what people say to me or things that i read my email or on social media the fact that between the district and the province they've cancelled public exams we're never going to write a public exam again apparently in this province Again, I'm not an educator. I do wonder what the implications are. I think the best case study is to look at the most recent grads from high school that went on to post-secondary, where they will indeed be tested, how it worked out for them. But amazingly, I'm going to say 75% of people who have uh, commented on it to me, they're in favor of doing away with the publics, saying full well that they have all kinds of examples themselves and their friends and their family who have never written a public exam yet have done very well in life. And of course... Doing well on an exam only means that you're able to A, study, B, regurgitate, and C, know the tricks of being successful writing a test or an exam. But so it's, it's gone. The only question I would have is, you know, when they talk about innovative, modern, up-to-date methods of assessing a student, I don't know what they are. It would be interesting to know what they are, even though I don't go to grade 12. But should we not have that entire review done 
and a better understanding throughout the teacher community and administrators and students and their families about how assessments are going to work before we do away with the standardized test. I know there's a problem with standardized testing. I know there is. And I'm sure there's probably much better ways to assess a student because Look, I was able to write exams because I knew what the study guide was like, and I was able to just spit it back out the next day via my pen on the exam paper. But public exams, 75% of the pushback or the reaction that I'm getting is there are people are fine with it. Okay, you want to talk about it? Let's go. A couple of housing notes. We know the issue up in Happy Valley Goose Bay with the transient population living on the trail network. Just for context, back in 2017, there was about 20 to 25 people living out in the trails in the woods. Now it's around 80. So the province, of course, we're talking about public safety. That's what the residents are clamoring for, understandably so. The social programs and getting down to understanding who these people are, why they're there. Now they're talking about a multi-million dollar housing facility. No firm commitment from the government at this time. But if you're in Happy Valley Goose Bay and would like to paint a picture as to what we're seeing and what public safety concerns you would have, happy to have you on the program here today to do exactly that. You know, there's also, when we talk about things like the transient population and or addictions and what have you, you know, it's fine to say, and I think it's right to say, we have to understand who they are, why they're there, but you also have to want help. Curiously, the one lady who emailed me, her brother is living on the trail network, told a very harrowing story. I replied to her, and then she came back with an aside that said, ultimately, her and her family have offered all types of support and to move that fellow, she's living in Ontario, to move him to live with them. And he says no. And they talked about trying to find an emergency shelter for him in and around Happy Valley Goose Bay or maybe move to the island. And he said no, he's tickety-boo where he is, which is fascinating to me. But anyway, they're talking about that particular project up in Happy Valley Goose Bay. And this next one is extremely troubling. We know the issue and the prevalence of domestic violence in this province. There's only a few shelters across the province. The big one here in town is Iris Kirby House. They've taken in 108 people uh, in St. John's this year. 81 at its facility in Carbonier since April the 1st. They've turned away 267 others. Just imagine that many women and children fleeing a very violent relationship have turned to Iris Kirby House and they're good people and they want to help you. Average stay five or six weeks in the, while you get your life back on track. Turn away 267. You know full well they don't want to do that. And when you listen to folks at Iris Kirby House, they're thinking the worst case scenario out loud. What happens if one of those 267 people becomes a headline where they're dead at the hands of their partner? We have to be honest about these very emotional, traumatic topics. I know they're uncomfortable, but they're so very real. Now, where are the, uh, you know, to refer to it as a banner year, and I know how they mean that, but holy smokes. So let's see here. They opened up in 1981. The 22 bedrooms, 33 beds, 15 beds in Carbonier. There's a few others around the province, uh, Gander and Marystown, uh, Cornerbrook, but... If the numbers are what they are at Iris Kirby House, you have to imagine the very similar circumstances at other women's emergency shelters. I know in Bonavista, one of the people, the former mayor, Betty Fitzgerald, is leading a group trying to establish a uh, shelter in Bonavista itself. But we're going to try to speak with uh, is Michelle, right? Yeah, Michelle Green. She's the executive director at Iris Kirby House to tell us what she's seen. But to know they've taken in that many people since April the 1st and have turned away 267 others. And so it's not only a conversation about Iris Kirby House. 
it's a conversation that we owe ourselves, uh, honestly, especially in the family unit, most importantly with our sons, about these issues. To understand what's going on, to understand what's right and wrong, respect and self-respect. And we've just got to try to find a way to address this. You know, people will throw around systemic and things like that. Well, unfortunately, in this case, it is. So those conversations, as tricky as they are, we have to have them. One more tricky one before we get going. I, I see Michelle in the queue. So we're going to speak with Michelle Green from uh, Iris Kirby House right after the first break. Mentioned uh, maybe earlier this week about medical assistance in dying. And there have been some circumstances in the recent past, you know, where people have chosen it because either they were poor or have mental illness and or have a housing issue. So as opposed to talking about the supports required, we're talking about offering to kill them. It's just madness. The concept of medical assistance in dying for someone who's terminal, and living in intolerable pain and has made a conscientious decision between themselves, their family, their physicians, go through all of the eligibility issues, all the counseling, all the questions, and arrive at that decision, I understand that. But when people are looking at it as just the option out, when there's supports that could indeed see them helped, you know, housed, whatever's required. Now we hear for the second time that a member of the Canadian Forces has been offered that. This fellow is in the act is in act for duty. He has PTSD. Looking for some additional sports support, uh, a way to transition out of the military, and then of course to reintegrate back into civilian life with whatever help is required. And what's offered? Medical assistance in dying. So we're kind of taking what conceptually is understandable and applying it in the most egregious way. You know, imagine an active member of the military says, I need some help. Well, how about, how about death? What? How can that even be uttered? You know, he's got a plan. Help me transition out of the military. I've served. I know what's on the other side, but I'm going to need some help doing it. And no, one of the first utters, utterings is medical assistance in dying. Unbelievable. All right, there's a bunch I wanted to get to, but I guess we'll hold them. Although... The Prime Minister wraps up testimony today at the inquiry in the invocation of the Emergencies Act in Ottawa. Guaranteed that's going to get pretty heated. It's been a bit of a spectacle throughout the five weeks that it's been ongoing. And if you want to take it on, we can do it. And I wanted to get the immigration, but I'll save that. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline.vocm.com. When we come back, let's have a great show. We are going to start it with a difficult conversation, albeit an important one, with Michelle Green. She's the executive director at Iris Kirby House. And then we're going to be speaking with you. Don't go away. And welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. So good morning to the executive director at Iris Kirby House. That's Michelle Green. Good morning, Michelle. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Well, I read the story and obviously quite troubling. Just for context, one more time, taking in 108 people at the transition house and 81 at your facility in Carbonier since uh, April the 1st, but had to turn away 267 others. How does this compare to recent past? Way, way up. Very high. We are experiencing unprecedented turnaways. I recall doing it the year before last, doing the numbers for the full year, and we were less than 50. So there has been a very quick, very steep increase in the number of people who are needing shelter, and we just can't provide it. I know that you and your staff and everyone that supports Iris Kirby House does their level best. What happens to these women and their children? 
So they still come. Uh, they will get services. They will get outreach. We will help them fill out any applications. We will help them create a safety plan. We will connect them with the Intimate Partner Violence Unit at the RNC. We will do everything that we can to continue to support them, with the exception of being able to roof over their head. And CSS delivering some more program. There are certain circumstances where they will find private shelter for folks who are in need, but it's not the straightforward route it should be when you're already going through so many barriers. What do you think are the contributing factors to see this explosion in numbers? In some research done by Statistics Canada that shows stress levels are an anxiety, depression, you know, a, a wide range of mental health issues have increased significantly. I believe we've heard that in the news as well, but there is empirical data through Stats Canada that shows that mental health need has increased. Domestic violence is all about power and control. So when you experience domestic violence, you're really experiencing someone else's behavior and it's just being turned outward onto you. So people are are really struggling. And when you have no power and control in other parts of your life, oftentimes you will see it in, uh, in your romantic relationships. So there's that. There is the financial crisis that we're all experiencing. It is, you know, going to the supermarket and seeing three and four dollars on, you know, a single item. People just don't have the money, so that is leading to the housing crisis um, because people can't afford the rates that are being asked for properties that would have never cost that much two years ago. So it's a real steep incline, and it's happened very quickly, very suddenly. And I think, it, it has, as I've said before, it's a perfect storm of mental health issues, of the pandemic, of uh, the housing crisis, and it's all kind of woven into the social fabric of even of our city of size of St. John's. We, we are seeing such homelessness. We've seen in the news recently people lined up for a single apartment. That's real. So when we have these turnaways because we're not getting people through the system. So someone is coming in, they're staying for five or six or seven months because there's no appropriate housing. That means that there's no flow through. So we have to turn people away. Here's the million dollar question. And I know it's extremely complex and I have no interest in sensationalizing this because it's far too important. Is what do we do? Where do we go? Like, there's a societal conversation that needs to be had, but there's got to be a lot of leadership at the municipal level. For instance, in St. John's, when we're talking about Iris Kirby House, there's got to be more consideration, policy, and programs at the provincial level. But what do we really do here? Because now we're at a point where the numbers are so huge and so immediate. Where do we go? You're right. It is a very complex question, and there's and there's no one uh, to go. Oh, if this government department or if this agency did more, we would be better off. We have an incredible working relationship with the city. We rent uh, a couple of homes from them and we put our families in there and put in supports with them. We have an incredible working relationship with Newfoundland Labrador Housing, with the community centers, uh, within Homelessness St. John's. So the relationships and the people at the ground level are doing the work. It is a bigger societal uh, question. There needs to be more education in the schools about how to take care of yourself. You need People need to learn the basics in order to live. A lot of the people that we see and a lot of the people that we see homeless 
still have basic skills. They're still going to convenience stores to shop, and they may know it's more expensive, but they can't. They've never learned budgeting, or they've never learned how to do childcare. They've never learned how to take care of a house. Stella Circle has a, has a great program where they learn some of that, but that's not for women who've experienced domestic violence. So I think there needs to be a change in how we see domestic violence. I think we need to see that it is everyone's problem, and it, it is. It's it's so huge. So where do we start? I think we start one person at a time, one program at a time. A perfect example of what I mean is we've just gotten some funding through Mothers Matter Canada. There is a program called the Hippie Program, helping improve preschool outcomes uh, for youngsters. And We'll go into homes of people who have experienced domestic violence, and we will help them create that educational bond with their child, as, and we'll empower the mom as the child's first teacher. That is going to help break that cycle of violence, and it's been done through Mothers Matter Canada with Indigenous cultures and with uh, multicultural uh, newcomers. So this is now a new pilot project. We are one of four places in Canada. So innovation is happening here. It's just not happening fast enough because people are homeless and fleeing domestic violence tonight. Again, zero interest in trying to, you know, make make this anything but an important conversation. But what are your worst fears here, given the numbers that you're seeing? Well, I mean, you know, I've been, I think I've shocked people over the last couple of days. I really, truly believe in my heart there's going to be another death. There has been deaths in this province to domestic violence. It happens. It happens regularly. There have been deaths in this province to people who have been homeless. It happens in Labrador. It happens in St. John's. There are deaths regularly because of the vulnerabilities of people. And I think we, we think, you know, oh, that happens in you know downtown East Side Vancouver, or that happens on those big nameless streets in Toronto. It's happening here. And we're not, we're not aghast by it. We're not outraged by it. We're just plodding along. So we really, people really need to buy in. Like, do we think anymore? Today's Black Friday, right? And people are like, oh, got to go shop, got to go shop. There are families in this city, regardless of the connections they have with whatever organization, that there's going to be nothing under a Christmas tree, or there might not even be a Christmas tree. Like, we are at that critical tipping point, and you know, the Salvation Army is doing a wonderful job. All the church groups are doing a wonderful job. But look at how many churches have closed. Where are those folks going now? So the social fabric of our communities is eroding. And I think part of that is allowing all these very vulnerable needs that were taken care of by our kind, caring neighbors that they're just they're they're floating to the top now and we're seeing you know, a mass number of critical things that are all converging. Uh, so, you know, I sound so we are hopeful. We are still our building is still full here this morning. The building in Carbonier uh, may have one or two beds. So we're still hopeful. We're still helping people every day. But I think that, you know, the alarm does need to be sounded a little bit. We do need a little bit of sensationalism. This is critical. Michelle, I appreciate you making time for the program this morning. You're always welcome to join us with an update or for a further conversation because if we don't talk about it, nothing changes. And thank you very much for this. Keep up the good work. I just want to say, sure. though, that even though we're saying how busy we are and how I don't want anyone to be left with the feeling that if they're in need, they can't call. 
please call. We'll figure it out. Don't stay somewhere because you don't think you're worthy of making the call or you're not, you know, other people are more important than you. Don't get that impression at all. We will still find help. Excellent point. I'm glad you made it. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Patty. Take good care. Bye-bye. It's Michelle Green, Executive Director at Iris Kirby House. No. Okay. So you, you hear me say this a lot, and I think it's important, is don't hold back on trying to share something positive because we hear so much negative. There's a lot of difficult stuff out there. There's a lot of troubling stories. There's a lot of very traumatic issues. But you're doing me a favor, doing other listeners a favor. Well, we can also talk about some good things that are happening, whether it be good individuals doing good things and or big achievements being made, whether it be from uh, youth all the way through seniors or just some positive story about, you know, someone's coming back that you haven't seen in years for Christmas, like whatever it is. If there's an opportunity to put a smile on someone's face with some of these types of conversations, let's do it. Because I know... And like someone just wrote me an email, lots of negative stuff in the preamble. But, you know, I try to start off with Miracle on 34th Street, Dial a Carol, you know, Pat Summerall and John Madden. And, you know, Black, Fr- Black Friday sales and maybe Marvel's going to open early. And, you know, well, I try to pepper it in there, but you, you could do me a solid and also uh, contribute on the positive front if you can. And you can do it after this. Don't go away. Save the date. VOCM's Dial a Carol. Sunday, November 27th, 1 to 6 p.m. on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one. Ramona, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, I um, heard you mention on your opening remarks a couple of weeks ago, I think, about debates in the House. I wanted to call, but I couldn't call it time. Yeah, it just drives me crazy. I never do listen to it. I can't listen to it. They're like a bunch of children, unruly children. I just listen if someone new is on the, uh, is voted in, and then if I'm not happy with that, I just turn it off. And most people I talk to is the same, feels the same way about it. It's disgusting the way they get on. It's just so unnecessary, isn't it? It's just so unnecessary. I do think, look, we need to see what goes on inside the House of Assembly. It's important that we're, we're in the loop. But, of course, it becomes more about political theater than it does getting things done. You know, I think the TV cameras have made things worse, to be honest with you. I know there's always been a bit of the antics inside the chambers, whether it be in the House of Commons or House of Assembly. But when they're playing to the camera, you know things are going to get worse on that front and it's just you know it sometimes comes across as just so juvenile if the parties or the individuals could rise above there's a political victory there because people would notice you know if there was members who were openly calling for themselves and their colleagues on their side in their party to concentrate on getting work done versus come up with one-liners that makes the news I think there's a victory to be had even if it's a small political victory because we deserve better and we deserve better leadership because when we see folks who are running the show so to speak behave like that sometimes what type of leadership does that speak to not very not very it's not a very kind light they paint themselves in exactly i just worry about what they're teaching our children you know the exact way you teach your children not to be this is what they're doing it's disgusting yeah i'm not a big fan i don't watch a lot of question period i have to say i never watch it i can't i can't handle it fair enough yeah now my main concern now is uh that we are uh, losing good people in in the uh, entering politics, or we will be losing because those master manipulators, what they are doing. 
Well, I suppose it might keep some people from running, but I think what also keeps people from running is that immediately, no matter who you are, you're automatically labeled as a fraud and a grifter and a liar and a bad person simply because you put your name in the hat. You know, who wants to take on the type of commentary and ridicule and attacks that the politicians do these days. It gets pretty severe out there. There was a while years back I thought maybe I'd give it a crack, but <laughs> no, thank you. No, you're better off where you are. We need you. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it is it is really troubling because those masterminded manipulators, they suck in the innocent people. What are you talking and about there? Who's the, Who are the uh, masterminds? Sorry? I think we all know. <laughs> No, I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, that's all. Oh, uh, for example, President of the United States, prime one. Suck in the innocent people, and then they go for their, for their uh, you know, for their um, supporters, their coup, and uh, there's so much power that uh, it's almost impossible to... For some people, yeah, listen, for some people, even the, those who are the leaders, so to speak, and or their supporters, it becomes, the messaging becomes very intoxicating. And all of a sudden, people just lose sight of what's actually going on, and they, they get sucked in by what people are telling them, either what to be afraid of or who to be afraid of, which is really kind of dominates politics these days. I'm a little tired of politicians just forever telling me what I'm supposed to be afraid of. Yeah, I know, but you know, it's it's uh, people just don't see through it. There's a lot of people who don't see through it. The, the innocent people. Fair enough. And they get so much power that um, you know, it's not. There's no magic wand to to correct what's going on in in the globe, in the war right in the world. I mean, right now. Well said. You know, it's been for going on for so long, for hundreds of years, and it's just getting out of hand, and it's very scary. People have dug their heels in. I think we're going to have to dig our heels in. And, um, you know, the people out there with common sense needs to get in, 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 the, in the loop. Fair enough, Ramona. I appreciate you sharing a bit of common yeah, sense with us this morning. <laughs> and another thing is the minimum wage. Okay. I mean, this is one way they can help out our food banks, but those people in their Eiffel Towers gathering their golds. They don't care about families. They don't care about that. Their main thing is power and money. So they can help by paying their share in the taxes that they're taking from those people in the, what, they, what they call in, in the, the lower grade, um, the lower in the ladder. So to my mind, they're the foundation of, our, um, of the supply chain. And we can't do without them. We're more important than the ones on top. Yeah. And give, for goodness sakes, give them enough money to live. Yeah. Okay. Median income in this province is only around $35,000. Minimum wage is at thirteen seventy, if I remember correctly. Went up 50 cents on the 1st of October, uh, making its way to $15 an hour somewhere this time next year, I think, is the schedule. But, of course, I don't know how anyone makes men's meat. Now, okay. minimum wage is not intended to be a full-time forever type of wage, but for some it is. For so, some it is, yes, and, yeah. and we can't do without them. They're very important. They're very important, you know, in, in the chain line. And they should be, that would, you know, I just don't understand how those people making all the money thinks that they can get away with paying no taxes. You know, pay their pay their 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 people, their staff, more money, and then they can, 
they can help out the food banks. People won't have to go to food banks. We're do, you know, we're draining the people in the middle class with the taxes. So it's just disgusting. Appreciate the time. Hope you have a nice day and, and, and a nice Patty, weekend, Ramona. Yes. I wish everybody a, a Merry Christmas and their family. Thank and you. I nominate you for a good Christmas bonus because you're amazing what you're doing to help people. From your mouth to my boss's ears. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Merry Christmas, Ramona. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 Uh, yeah, that's my first Merry Christmas. A bit early, maybe. But she did. She offered it to me to me, so I'm gonna respond in kind. Let's go to line number three. Good morning, Courtney Barber. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. How are you? Couldn't be better. How you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. Great. What's going on? Um. Well, uh. You guys wanted to know about what we have going on at Neighbors in Need. Uh, so we are well into our third annual Christmas Miracles. We have over 280 families, seniors, and individuals who are registered uh, for Christmas help this year. Um, we have over 200 of them already sponsored. Um, and we have some big events coming up around um, around the province uh, for stop-a-truck events to be able to uh, complete the about 100 families that we have on our wait list. Um, so we are going to be in St. John's, Mount Pearl, um, at, or sorry, Mount Pearl at Wendy's on November 27th from 5 to 9 p.m. We're going to be at Plaza Bowl in St. John's on December 2nd from 9 to or 3 to 9 p.m. We're going to be at Paradise Bowl in Paradise on December 3rd from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. We are going to be in Carboneer on the 4th from 1 to 5 at the Dairy Queen. Grand Falls, Windsor at Walmart on December 3rd from 1 to 5 p.m. Clarenville is going to be at the Caribou Games on December 10th from 6 to 8 p.m. And we have another stuff a truck event in Labrador City at the Dollar Store on December 10th. Uh, the time is to be announced. Um, so lots of amazing things on the go and uh, lots of people getting Christmas help this year. So this began as a Facebook group, right? Yes. So was it always the way that you'd be out in the community like this with fill a truck, or is this something relatively new? Um, we've done the stuff a truck for the last two years that we've done the Christmas Miracles, but we only did one event in Mount Pearl at Wendy's. So we have definitely grown substantially this year and um, have, have spread across the province, like I said, right up to Labrador. We have families who have registered for help this year. And, of course, we see families registering for help growing with every community organization, not-for-profits and charities who do things like this, whether it be single parents or neighbors in need or whatever the case may be. You know, the other part of this story is not just how many people are in need, but it's what you get out of it. I know, and everyone who's ever done this knows, that when you get involved and you make someone's life easier or better, that's great. But there's also a lot of self-gratification comes with it. Now, not to be selfish to say the only reason I do is so I can feel good, but it's just inert. It happens. When you're out there helping, all of a sudden when you return after a day of volunteering or stuff in trucks, what have you, you think, you know, even in your quiet moments, that felt good. It's so amazing. It's like the story that used to go around the school about filling your buckets. When you help other people, you're filling your own bucket. So it's it's a great situation all the way around, and it's just incredible to see the people come together um, for for each other. I think it's awesome. How many people uh, work behind the scenes with Neighbors in Need? Because you and I have spoken in the past. How many of the full-time, we'll call it, volunteers are driving this bus? 
Uh, full-time volunteers, I have about, uh, I'd say, 20 to 30. Wow. Uh, but we definitely have about 100 to 150 uh, regular volunteers province-wise. Amazing stuff, Courtney. Keep it up. Glad you made time for the show this morning. Anything else you'd like to say? Well, I'm headed to the airport to fly home to Newfoundland, and I'm going to be live at all those events, well, in town and in Carboneer anyways. Fantastic. Safe travels. You're flying from Alberta, right? I am flying from Alberta. Uh, what town do you live in again? I can't remember. Um, I'm in Edmonton. Right. Oh, Listen, I hope you have safe travels and enjoy your visit back home. Thank you so much. You have a great day, Patty, and Merry Christmas. Same to you. Merry Christmas, Courtney. Thank you. You're Bye. welcome. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go to line number four. Good morning, Michelle. You're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. How are you? I'm doing okay. How about you? Oh, not too bad. Um, just calling about an experience I had yesterday uh, at Eastern Health trying to drop off a sample to the okay. lab. Um, I went to St. Clair's at around 3, and they were closed, unfortunately. But there was a sign on the door that said I could go to uh, health science, uh, first floor, between 8 and 4, for outpa- outpatient specimen drop-off. So anyway, I got in there around 3.30, and when I did, uh, they were closed. And I could hear people behind the wicket talking and laughing knocked and um, just to see if someone could help me and an employee came by he said just try around the corner you might get someone there so I went there and when I did they said we're closed they said we've been closed since two you have to get here by two to drop off your sample and I said well there's a sign at St. Clair's that says that you're open till four and they said well that sign's probably been there for years and I said well who do I contact about that and they said well you can contact Eastern Health Communications and I said well how do I contact them they either wouldn't or couldn't give me the contact information. But anyway, they went ahead and took the sample anyway. But when I got home, I had a look online. And online, it does say they're available between 8 and 4 for outpatient specimen collection at the lab at Health Science. I mean, <laughs> sometimes when there's miscommunication between departments, you know, there's a little bit of uh, leeway granted because left and right hand are not always coordinated. But when it's in the same department on the exact mm-hmm. same file, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, yeah. how can that possibly be? So, I mean, my, my questions are, you know, if the hours have changed, I mean, how come it's not uh, consistent online in the signage and then with yeah. the frontline staff? And then if it is changed, you know, how come I have reduced access right now to these services? You know, if I was able to uh, previously drop it off until 4, how come now it's reduced, if it has been at all? I don't know. And if it has been, I mean, there must have been some decision made at the managerial level. And consequently, you think the follow-up would be to uh, adjust the website and signage and whatever else, Mm -hmm. as opposed to find out the hard way after driving around. Exactly. Yeah, I wasn't aware that there was any sort of uh, disconnect there, but oh my, what do you know? Although I'm not surprised. (laughs) I I just went on just looking for this, I don't know what this Eastern Health Communications, and it's not readily like searchable or findable on the website. So uh, there's just a, a general complaints line, which I contacted, but of course, they give you the same preamble that, you know, it's very busy. You can't expect that it's going to be, you know, delayed because, you know, 
they're so busy. So I just figured I would just contact you. <laughs> I'm glad you did. I'll zip off a, cr- a quick note to see if they can uh, either help us understand if the hours have been adjusted at the top level or what is actually going on. And if it is 2 o'clock, are they going to let people in the general public know versus just show up and find out the hard way? Yeah, now, just as a little side note, just right below it, it does say, like, private uh, private companies, private blood collection companies, etc., uh, have to have it there by 2. That's directly below the, you know, outpatient uh, below above it where it says eight to four below it it says it's till two for like private clinics or companies to drop okay. off samples yeah thanks for this michelle i'll do some follow-up see what i can find out thanks a lot appreciate the time have a good day bye you too bye-bye yeah. you know i maybe leeway is the wrong word but you sometimes can understand a little bit better if there's a little bit of miscommunication between some behemoth government departments but not inside the same department you know? All right, let's go. Line number one. Alexander Taylor, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. Hi. Uh, I'm just going to like to say a quick reminder on my concert coming up tonight. Fire away. Tell us about it. I know we spoke in the past, but go ahead and give us a refresher. Yep. It's the third annual Marion Bright happening tonight at 7 p.m. at St. Mary's Church Auditorium, Craig Miller Avenue, St. John's. You can buy tickets at the door or call 709 709- Six nine one four zero two zero, and tickets will ten dollars. And this is not the first time you've done some fundraising concerts in the recent past, as I mentioned the last time around, because you did a Fiona fundraiser. I think the, the uh, pardon me, the tally there was maybe nine hundred bucks, if I remember correctly. So this yeah. is great stuff. Uh, give us an idea. Give a shout out to some of the folks that are going to be doing some performances with you this evening. Well, I have a few people. I have Jared Waterman, Mulberry Creek. I have an East Coast Waves coming, too. Those are just a few. There's a bunch more, too. So if you want to go, it's great, great cause, and great performers, great everything. Keep up the good work, Alexander. I'll break a leg tonight. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. All right, bye-bye. There's a young fella and his buddies doing some good stuff. You know, that's a altruistic or charitable spirit. You know, when we get them interested young, which is, I think, one of the, the very good plans in high school, is that you get some actual credits for doing some volunteer work. I would imagine for some of the young people, when they are told they have to do it for some school credits, they might feel like they have to do something. But like we, uh, in the conversation, have with Courtney Bar- Barber at Neighbors in Need, you very quickly find out that doing those types of things comes with a lot of feel-good for yourself, too. So I do appreciate when the high schoolers are out there volunteering because you get them early and you keep them for the long haul. Dave, will I sneak on another call or just get us to the news and we'll come back? Okay. Okay, line two. Okay, line two. Robert, you're on the air. How you doing, Petty? Excellent. How about you? I'm pretty good for a young lover. Grand. Listen, uh, those chicks, $500 chicks that's coming out, uh-huh. you know, there's a, there's a, a friend of ours, she's an, she did now, she got one yesterday. She She got hers? Yeah, yesterday. She did. Jim did two years. Oh, she's dead. Yeah, she's not alone. Uh, well, no, <laughs> she's not alone of being dead. <laughs> she's not alone of getting the tickets uh, or the checks. People have been getting them for their deceased moms and dads and aunts and pops repeatedly over the last number of days. So what you're supposed to do is to call the tax administration office, get it back to them. If the estate is still active, they will indeed re- re- uh, reissue a check to the estate of the late person. So the $500 can be used in the future but you got to get back to them with a copy of a, de- a death certificate so they can write a check to the estate we, we got lots of money patty here okay good you to dp one now Thank you. Huh? S- say that part again i said we got lots of money we're even giving to the deed now oh yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, we're throwing it around like it's nobody's business. Uh, listen, uh, what's up coming for you now? I'm going to ask you one question there. Okay. Uh, oh, my God. I, I lost my train of thought now. Uh, That's probably because you got the radio turned up, shagging you up. Let's see you every morning, old buddy. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Oh, yes, yes. We can't listen to Patty Daly. That's part of the, the, <laughs> our, our, our meals. Well, I hope you enjoy it, and I'm glad you called this morning. So to call the tax administration office or send them an email, and they'll work it out. But you've got to get that checked back to them so no, you can no, reach no. them. Just a friend of mine that, he, that he's a mother-in-law got today. Okay. You know, but... Uh, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll chat later. Look forward to it. You have a good day, my buddy. You, you too. Have a good job, as Th- usual. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Uh, very quickly before we get to the news, I want to throw around a couple of happy birthdays. Uh, Kevin Parsons, former member of the House of Assembly down in Cape St. Francis. Uh, Kevin's... Uh, Dealing with some uh, health-related matters. Hopefully, I'm not letting that cat out of the bag on that front. But happy birthday to Kevin Parsons and our very own Brian O'Connell. Brian O'Connell, 65 years of age today, apparently. So the very happiest of birthdays to both gentlemen and the OC, top-quality broadcaster, top-quality fella, as is Mr. Parsons. All right, let's go ahead and take a break for the newscast. When we come back, you know the deal. Plenty of time to speak with you on a topic of your choosing. Do not go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number two. Good morning, Audrey. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind? I got a, You were looking for some good news stories, so I got a good news story from out around the bay. Excellent. Let's hear it. Um, I do. Uh, we plan this every year for the winter home. Uh, it's a small home here in Winterton. So I do a Santa for Seniors party at the home. So how it works is I make a post on my Facebook page in November month looking for donations for a gift for each resident at the home. And I'd be quite successful with that. Good. We collect um, a gift last year. It was really outstanding. I collected uh, enough gifts for everybody at the home, and I stuffed the stocking with uh, 30 uh, items in each stocking for each resident at the home. We served the lunch. Santa came, and we had music, and it was open to the community, and it's uh, a good feeling for everybody that's involved. I would imagine it is. How long have you been doing this, Audrey? I started it, I think, was 2015. Fantastic, and you know full well the residents love it. Oh, just like Christmas morning for those folks. I think it's great. So you mustn't, you're not a one-person band on this one. Who helps you out? Um, I just put it out there, and I get uh, help from people uh, in the community, and people send donations from far away as Edmonton, Fort McMurray, people that had people at the home or previously had people at the home. So... I think it's great. Like, we have this lady, Christy Pete, has been calling a little bit lately, talking about uh, cards for the seniors, and she's got a big uptake on that. And then I know there was a story not so long ago where a couple of uh, schools or a couple of classes in some schools were doing some pen pal work with the folks living in seniors' homes. So uh, every little bit helps here because we know there was a stretch of time where they had it really difficult. You know, no one allowed in for a visit. The strain on their mental health must have been something else. So these types of things really brightens up the Christmas season. So this is terrific i'm really glad you told us about it audrey you're welcome and i uh, look forward to doing it and anybody that be in attendance at that party 
get the real Christmas spirit because those uh, seniors at the home is just like watching children Christmas morning. Oh, no doubt. So for the listeners here this morning, if they want to contribute to your good news story here, what do they have to do? Uh, just make get a contact with me. Okay. How do they, how do they connect with you? Um, well, my phone number is uh, 583-2011, yeah. or they can just make a comment on my uh, uh, Facebook page. What's your last name so they can find you on Facebook? Audrey Piercy. How do you spell your last name? Is it P-I-E-R-C-E-Y? Yes, it is. Okay, so Audrey Percy on Facebook, or you can give her a shout at 583-2011 to put a smile on the senior's face as they have a little Christmas party. Thanks for this, Audrey. Thank you. Terrific. Bye. All the best. Bye-bye. And Merry Christmas to you. Uh, let's go. Line number three, caller, you're on the air. Good day, Mr. Daly. Good day to you. I just want to have a speak up about that uh, lady that was on your program yesterday about her sister looking for the home care. Oh, boy, yeah. Denise Champion is yeah. the lady's name, yeah. And I just hope she's listened. Uh, I'm there with you to support you, and I show all the compassion, and I, and, and I feel your feelings, dear. Just while we have you, if someone missed that conversation, the lady that called, her name was Linda Marsh. And Denise Champion is her sister. Mm. So Denise has a variety of, complica- of complex needs. She's got home care at this moment in time. But the home care worker that she has, now that Denise's mom has passed, Denise and Linda's mom has passed away, the home care worker has actually offered to have Denise move into her home with her so that she can offer the 24-hour support, including throughout the night because she's got grandma seizures. And so what the government said was, no, she has to move into a personal care, pardon me, a long-term care home, but she's quite vulnerable and Linda is really quite worried about her. And so the government says that they'll pay the home care worker around $30,000 a year, uh, which is not enough to make ends meet, uh, versus what would cost the government to have her in a long-term care facility. The number Linda offered was $200,000. So it's a completely confusing and a heartbreaking story. Like I say, I'm uh, listening to your your program every day, and like I say, you know, some stories are so sad, but you know, Mr. Daly, I had a hard time getting sleep last night thinking about that lady. I thought about it yesterday afternoon, too. Someone sent me an email about it, and of course, that just brings it all back. But these are important conversations. As sad as they are, we've got to have them, because if we don't, and it just continues on in the shadows or in the dark or in the silence, then nothing changes. And we've yeah. heard, look, since that call, I've had a, another bunch, I can't remember how many, but if, another few families tell them they have very similar circumstances. They don't have the capacity to for their loved one themselves. Some of them live in different towns or cities, and they've got people willing to help to be the primary caregiver, but they can't get the eligibility approved by the government. So I don't know why we're being so obtuse when it comes to trying to help somebody, and the help is there, and people want to help. Now, you said that magic word. I meant to call you a number of times about that word, obtuse. I just hope ye all, ye members, the NDPs, the PCs, and our premier... If you don't know the if you don't know the meaning of tooth, well, go to your library and get the Webster Dictionary. Oh, buys everybody in the parliament. Go. If you don't know the meaning, I certainly know the meaning of that word. Well, unfortunately, so do I. Yeah, uh, like I say, I had I mind calling many a times to you, say. Do you really know the meaning of obtuse if you don't go to your dictionary and find it? And I must say, like I say, I know there's somebody in the government listening today, but how in the hell flames can you go to bed, put your heads on the pillow, and have no compassion and no and no feelings for people like this as that's really, really in need? Because I I went to it, I I've seen it, I've seen it with me at Nice. 
she stayed with her mom there till May last last year until she took her last print. Well, hopefully we can make better decisions, you know, and I know it's difficult to make case-by-case decisions on every single front, but when someone presents himself as kind enough and compassionate enough to invite Denise Champion to live in her home with her so she can take care of her and for it not to be approved and a cost savings on top of it, it's really quite something. Yeah, well, like you say, I hope they're all listening. I hope they all has a poor night night when he when he puts their head on the pillow, like you did last and, night. And and good and good luck to you, uh, lady. I just hope everything turns out good for you. Yeah, me too. I if, appreciate. If, if, if not, keep on fighting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I'm the person. I'm the type of person. I never give. I never give up on nothing. Well, I don't imagine Linda Marsh is going to give up. She certainly didn't sound like a quitter yesterday. No, well, that's all I got to say, Mister Daniel. Like I say, it hit me really hard, and I'm the type of I'm a compassionate guy, so that's hit me hard. So good luck to you today. Appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Thank you. Take good care. Bye bye. Yeah, that story is something else. Like, can we talk about preparing for what the future is going to look like for the province of seniors? We understand the issues quite well. The numbers are well documented. Deaths outweigh births two to one in this province. We know we have the oldest average age of any province in the country. And that's not a bad thing. You know, when we talk about seniors, it's just to talk about the numbers. It's not anything beyond that. Some people take offense to it. I hope you don't. So when we try to figure out aging in place in your own home, what that looks like. And unfortunately, and I hate doing this, but boiling things down in the world of healthcare, including personal care homes, long-term care homes, acute care beds, we have to factor in money. So for instance, in Denise Champion's case, it could be safer for her, more dignified for her to live with her home care worker. It saves us money as a province. So how is that not an option chosen by the government? Then we look at, you know, what aging in place is going to look like. So many people would love to be able to stay in their own home with the required supports. When we do a cost comparison, generally speaking, we save people money. We save the government money by being able to stay home, and they're happier, and they feel safer, and they're closer to their family, and they're closer to their friends. You know, all the obvious issues. So the plants need to be really carefully constructed and well understood because while we deal with all the issues that are right in front of us today it doesn't mean that we can't and shouldn't be planning for tomorrow because that's a real key uh let's take a break when we come back sean's out in gander to tell us about a fundraiser he's doing oh that's sean wiseman and then rosalind wants to talk about heat pumps don't go away welcome back to the program let's go last uh, line number one rosalind you're on the air hello rosalind line number one Oh, sorry about that. I thought it was somebody else coming on before me. How well, are you this morning, my darling? Doing fine this morning. Thank you. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Bye. Great. But any, no, I, want, I was thinking, you know, I got an old house here. I'm 79 years old. My income is about $23,000 a year. That's oh. total everything. Okay. And uh, they're talking about putting in heat pumps. and I got a, a furnace and a stove off. <coughs> Excuse me. And I know the oil has gone through the roof, but there's no way in hell, as I should say it, that we can put a heat pump in here or even electricity. They'd have to change, like, the $10,000 or whatever they're wanting to do. I mean, it would cost, I'd say, about twenty or $30,000 to put anything in here. Then, when you put in a heat pump, we're living in Newfoundland, so you know what the... The winds and the outages of power, you take Igor, we were here for almost two weeks 
with no electricity. I used an oil stove that I got here to eat, eat and heat, both eat to cook and and uh, supply the heat. But in the meantime, so I figure, if any everybody that got a heat pump is going to need a generator. What do you think? Well, of course, you know, lots of things go by the wayside. Same people make the argument about electric vehicles. What happens if there's a power outage? Well, oh, even yeah. if there is, you can't get any gas from the pumps because the pumps require electricity too. So yeah. uh, I'll make that point. But, you know, a generator... I'm surprised it's not the most popular uh, thing out there, to be honest, because when we lived through Dark NL, the very first thing that we did was buy a generator. And I'm really glad that I did. Now, I haven't taken the additional step to wire it in through my my box because I'm too stunned, but I will absolutely do it. I'm planning to do it. And that's going to cost me some money. But I guarantee if we have extended blackout or brownouts, I'll be pleased that I spent that money. Yeah, that part, yes, for sure. And not only that, there's not only the heat pumps not in. I mean, there's no way I could get this old house is, like I said, is uh, built in uh, eight, eight, well, he's, what, over 100 years old. Built in 1800 and something, I think. Okay. And uh, there's no way, it's a two-story old house. Now, it's not too bad. It's pretty warm because they got the, the way it is built. But uh, there's no way, there's not even a wall in this house that you could put in a heat pump. But that's beside the point. And I was thinking about that $500 they're giving out for people making 100000 Patty, let me tell you something. Wow. If I was making $100,000 a year, I'd be donating my 500 back to someone that needed it. And that's the God's truth. Because I know for years, I'm, I'm, going in, I'm going into my 80th year now. And this is the first year that I won't be able to afford to make cakes and take to the seniors that's left there. Most of them are gone, anyhow. But, I mean, uh, in the last 20 years, every every year, every Christmas, I made Christmas cakes, cookies or something, and took around to the seniors. This year I can't do it. Every cent I'm going to get is going into the oil, you know, going into my oil tank. But yeah, I think it's going to be fairly common. Maybe I'm kidding myself, but I do think of people who are doing okay. Because if you're making hundred grand, you know that's a fairly significant sum of money to be bringing in annually. I think you will see some some of those folks make a, a donation out of either all of it or a portion of their five hundred bucks. I think so, anyway. I think part of it, what they should do down here, our roads is atrocious. I know uh, our member was on there for Bonavista. What's his name, Craig? was on talking about one thing and the other, but he didn't mention the roads. We got roads down here that's potholes and there's only to fill them in with, I don't know what, but I mean, as soon as there's a drop of rain or a plow goes by, all that's emptied out again. And the potholes that we had in the road here, you could sink a submarine in it. <laughs> and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's awful. Everything is wicked. But uh, like I said, now with this $500, that's something I don't agree with. I mean, it's not going to do me any good because I'm going to have to fill up my oil tank anyhow. And uh, that's about the only thing that would be any good for to fill up the oil tank. <laughs> and I had it filled up on the second because I kept mine full. I must say, all all these years I've kept it topped up. It's a 200 gallon tank. And I've kept it topped up. And uh, he filled it up on uh, November the 2nd. Took $259. I didn't even know I had any used out of it, to tell you the truth. But it took $259. And I checked it yesterday. The tank is already down a quarter, quarter of a tank. Don't be long gone. No, that's what I said. What did we had some cold weather? It's and the bloody wind. It, oh, last night, my God, did you just find it bad in there? It was fierce. I, I swear to God, I thought, I thought the roof was going to come over here. That's the truth. 
because I got one of those old houses got a four-sided roof, and I said, I wonder which side is going to go first. Where are you, Rosalind? I'm in Kingscove. Okay, apparently I'm Fogo Island. Said the last time I talked to you was the Lighthouse Festival, and David, last time I talked to you, that was the Lighthouse Festival was on the go. Oh, yes, okay, very good. Yeah. Yes, and we did good at that. I never saw you down to the festival. Now I, we're going to have another one. I think there's going to be 23rd of July this year. We had a meeting last, night for last, matter of fact. Yeah, getting the line up now for the bands and everything for the one coming up. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good year, too. But if we all survive, <laughs> if we all survive this winter with the oil and everything else. Now, I know it has gone down a bit, but it's still not even close to what we paid this time last year. And last year was high. It was. Uh, make sure you tell us about the Lighthouse Festival again before it comes to pass this coming summer. I will, for sure. Guaranteed. People said to me, how come you wouldn't on Patty, Patty Daly's show? He said, advertising. <laughs> I said, well, my, I was on there a couple of times, but I mean, you know, that costs money for them, too. Yeah. But anyhow, we'll be on, and we'll let you know, and we had a great time this, this year. It was The weather was good. We had a thunderstorm right in the middle, right at the beginning. But it cleared off, and everybody had a great time. I'm sure they did. Thanks for this yeah. this morning, Rosalind. Anyhow, I appreciate getting my little word out there. I said I, I've been thinking about it sitting there every day going to phone you, but I never do. And I enjoy your show. Like I said, I, I, I need to get out shoveling, but i got to wait and, and listen to Patty Daly first. Why not? <laughs> if I miss you today, I'll see you tonight. <laughs> I appreciate that, Rosalind. Do you be yeah. careful shoveling, too. Yeah, talk to you later, darling. Sounds Thanks good. for taking my call. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, okay, there. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, there we go. Uh, let's go to line number two. Sean, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How you doing? Doing okay, Sean Wiseman. How about you? I'm doing good, thanks. Just calling in uh, to uh, mention I have a, uh, a fundraiser on the go with my students. We're doing a Christmas concert at uh, St. Martin's Church on Wednesday, December 21st. 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, tickets are available at uh, the Breadbox and Computer Shack. And as in the past, we're going to be doing this kind of, we do a lot of traditional Christmas songs, the ones that everybody know, you know, the favorites. Uh, I got all my students there, uh, voice, mandolin, guitar, ukulele, bass, you know, I teach it all. So it's, uh, it's usually always a good show and goes over well. And uh, we're raising money for uh, uh, drilling wells in Africa, water wells. Um, and there's also going to be um, some people in the uh, – there's going to be someone set up in the foyer when you come in if you want to make a donation to the food bank as well. So that opportunity will be will be there for folks who uh, just want to give a little extra to, um, to the local area. Good on you. So how does it work with your students? Is this part of their ongoing curriculum or is this an extracurricular? This is, an, you know, this is a volunteer basis if they want. Some students are a bit shy and, and don't want to uh, <clears throat> be in a stage setting. And most of them do. <laughs> the ones who are, uh, you know, the, the, the brand new ones, of course, aren't quite to that level where they, they're, they're ready for stage yet. But uh, the ones that have been here for, I mean, I've got students been here for six and eight years. And uh, they, they really look forward to, um, <clears throat> to getting up on stage and, and singing or, you know, performing. So you, when you look up, you could see me accompanying a singer. And the next song could be me with uh, two singers and three guitar players and a bass player sitting behind, right? So it's, it's like a new band hitting the stage every <laughs> every song. So, it, uh, you know, they all take their turns. And as the song is over, when I'm announcing the next song, they all, you know, uh, make their way off stage and the new crew comes on. And so it's, it's very entertaining for, for the audience. It goes over well every year. Yeah, I'm sure it does, and we've talked about it in the past. So give the folks the details, the where, the wins, one more time. It's uh, St. Martin's uh, here in Gander, uh, and it's on Wednesday, December 
uh, 21st, starting at 7 o'clock p.m., and tickets are available at the, the Bread Box and Computer Shack. Uh, this is the first year we've done it for three years because of COVID, right? The sure. last time we did the concert was 2019. Wow. Uh, the, well, December 2019, right, because 2020 was, was COVID. And same thing this year is our first work. We had a Wiseman Brothers uh, New Year's Ball booked last year. You know, thought it was all over, and of course, they had to cancel that and Boxing Night because you know we had that big outbreak of COVID during Christmas last year. So this is going to be the first New Year's Ball we've done our Wiseman Brothers show since um, uh, 2019. Same thing, yeah. So the Christmas of that New Year's 2000 leading into 2020, right? And it's our 40th anniversary, by the way, Patty. Wow, 40th cool. Anniversary, of, yeah. I know what you're thinking. How could that be? I'm such a young fellow. I've been performing for 40 years. <laughs> yeah, that that wasn't what I was thinking. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sean, uh, enjoy the particular concert with the students and the Wiseman's Brothers New Year's Eve ball and uh, knock them dead. Break a leg. Thanks a million, Patty. Appreciate it. Take good care of yourself. You too, brother. All right. Bye-bye. bye-bye. All right. Uh, how are we doing on the phone there, David? Let's take a break. Barry's in the queue. He wants to talk about these cost of living checks. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back. All right. Let's go. Line number three, Barry, you're on the air. Patty, how are you doing today? Grand. How about you? I'm good. Great, thanks. Uh, Patty, I just want to talk about the uh, the government relief checks uh, that, that came out in the mail. Um, I had my niece yesterday who uh, is a young lady in her early 20s, uh, two young kids on the floor. Uh, she got her check. She was tickle pink. Uh, she asked me to drive her to the bank. And behold, uh, the bank holds $400 on her till uh, five business days. Uh, you know, Patty, uh, I, I think the government should probably made made a, a, a error in regards to direct deposit, which uh, nothing gets held back. But uh, you know, she she had all ambitions of going to the bank, uh, cashing her check, going to the grocery store, and going to doing a bit of Christmas shopping out of this. And she was heartbroken. And now she's got to wait till next week before she gets any of this done. Uh, so, and I think, you know, she's not going to be the only one, obviously, because they're issuing checks for everybody. But this is going to hold up a lot of people and, 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 and regards to getting things done uh, right now when, you know, people need this uh, sort of funds. I'm not arguing about the funds. I think it's a great idea. Uh, it'll help out a lot of families. Uh, but, you know, to the point where banks, big banks, are holding a government check, which the money is good, uh, you know, you should clear it right away. Uh, I can understand if it was a personal check, wait for the check to clear but this is a government check uh, issued to her with, in her bank account with her IDs, and they hold back uh, money on it. I think it's a bit much. Yeah, it's a you know it's pretty standard protocol at the bank. Yeah. But I've encountered it as well, where uh, a client of the same bank as I am, they wrote me a check. They had. Oh, tons of money to cover the value of the check in yeah. their own account that the banker could see quite clearly and I had to hold back too right I mean I didn't yeah. need it that day but I was saying yeah. not, I mean, it's not like this is a check from uh, the Hong Kong bank and you don't know if it's good or not you're looking right at the, the client as well and they've got yeah. $50,000 in the bank and they wrote me a check for 400 or something well, I think it was yeah yeah, it, it, it's a bit much and again it, it goes to the show that uh, you know big banks like this uh, you know they, they're only they're only looking out to the bottom line. And, you know, and everybody who's going to deposit their check uh, this week and next week and the next couple of weeks, uh, banks are going to make money on this money, uh, which is uh, is a shame uh, on, on the banks. Uh, that, uh, you know, when people are in desperate need of it, uh, it's a government check. Uh, the money is there. Uh, clearly, it's written to the person who is uh, 
uh, who's depositing it, and, and the banks won't do nothing. I mean, four girls cried at the teller yesterday, and the teller just put her hands up and said, nothing I can do. It's, it's been much. Yeah, it's. Uh, I understand the, her plight, yeah. and the comment that you made that is bang on the money is they're making money on the money. It's just yeah. as simple as that. It's as, as simple as that. It's just pure greed on, on banks, and you know they're worth billions and billions, if not trillions of dollars, and uh, they don't seem to give back into the community, uh, you know, regards to this sort of thing. And uh, you know that's uh, that's all I had to say about that. But I, th- I think it's a bit much. And uh, again, if people can find uh, other ways of cashing their check uh, somehow or another without having been delayed or held up by a big bank. Uh, you know, go to another avenue, or, or I think maybe the government should, if they decide to do this again, uh, do a direct deposit where it's not held up. Yeah, now I suppose, you know, when you have it set up with the federal government, that's one thing, but I don't know how many people would have a direct deposit set yeah. up already in place with the province, but yeah. I understand where you're coming from. And yeah. you yeah. mentioned cash it somewhere else, and maybe I'm just uh, not very oh, bright, but where else can you cash a check? I, I, I have no idea. Where would you cash a check? But, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, if, if I had my time back yesterday, uh, you know, I would have endorsed it to me and put it in my bank. I mean, I, I could have given her the money, and you know, I don't mind waiting a few days for it because I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, but, you know, if, if somebody can find other means of saying, listen, uh, you know, I need my check, check cash today, uh, find somebody who maybe can hold it for them or, or whatever the case may be, and just give them the cash, uh, you know. I know there's not a whole lot of people out there able to do that, but... Uh, I would have done that for her yesterday if I had known, but the, the bank kept the, kept the check and just released $100 for her. Yeah. Yeah, so are you going to cover the other 400 and let her pay you back? Yes, I did. Yes, I gave her the money. Yes, sir. Yeah, like you would. Yeah. It's yeah. a good point, though, Barry. I'm glad you called yeah. the show. Yeah, okay, Barry. Have a good weekend. You too. All the best. Okay, bye. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, there is, the lack of direct deposits is... I'm not 100% sure why it was such a massive obstacle if you had any sort of direct deposit organized with the government. And, of course, when they were saying you had to have your taxes filed, and so many people have a direct deposit set up with the federal government through CRA. But let's go to line number two. Herb, you're on the air. Good morning. How are you? Grand. How you doing? Not too bad. Okay. Uh, Patty, uh, when, those, uh, when they announced that those checks were coming out, the uh, cost of living bonus, uh-huh. $500, um, I phoned in about it about... Uh, when they first when they first mentioned it because they said on the news that anyone filed an income tax will receive that money. That's right. Okay, here's my question. My wife filed an income tax, but she passed away in April. And lo and behold, I received a check yesterday in the mail. What do I do with it? You might still be eligible. Let me read something. This is directly from the Department of Finance, and I'll read it verbatim. Hello, it says. For the cost of living relief program, an eligible individual can include someone who is deceased, so long as they meet all criteria of the program. In these situations, the payment will be issued in the name of the deceased individual with the executor or administrator of of the estate processing the payment in accordance with the authority to deal with the assets of the estate. Should an executor or administrator of an estate encounter any problems in accessing these funds for the benefit of the estate, they should contact the tax administration and at the number that we've been using, 1709-729-6376. So are you the ex- executor or the administrator of your wife's estate? Uh, well, I guess I am. I got everything set in the way. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, because I phoned ahead of time there, like I said, and I was talking to some lady and I told her the situation. She said, if you have a giant bank account, just throw it in the bank. Yeah, fair enough. So I guess that's what I look at. I feel kind of funny about it where I'm not quite sure. Um, so a couple of days ago, we were told to tell people to call a tax admin, send it back, get it organized. Now between that note from the Department of Finance and apparently uh, someone else sent me a note saying that the government will be putting out uh, more information in the coming days about circumstances like yours. So we either call the tax administration office now and tell them what you told me. Can you, can you give me that number sure, again? Sure, no problem. It's 729 uh, yeah. 6376. Seven six. Yep. Yeah, because there's a uh, there's a number on the on the uh, on the form itself here, and I'm trying to been phoning it all morning, but I can't get no satisfaction. There's a seven two nine six one nine nine number. Yeah, there's a couple of numbers out there. I've been using the sixty three seventy six when giving people information. You can also yep. send them an email if that makes your life any easier. Uh, <clears throat> my wife was a computer person. Okay. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I don't use it at all now, hardly. But uh, anyway, I guess, I guess I'll just slap it into our account, I guess, and hope for the best. Well, if that's what you were told, then I'd go ahead and do it. But, of course, for anyone out there who's received uh, a check for a deceased loved one, the executor or the administrator of the estate, they can get the check in their name and put it in the estate. So you'll get the 500 bucks As long as you're 18 years of age or older and yet file taxes, uh, you are still eligible. And curiously, even if you're dead, you're eligible if you meet all the eligibility requirements and the executor or the administrator is in place. So apparently more information coming in the coming days but this was always going to be a problem wasn't it because inevitably yes. people pass away people it's also fun. move so exactly yeah yep. anyway so uh, anyway I'll just uh, consider it a Christmas gift and throw it in the bank and my condolences on your loss thank you very much take care Herb alright bye bye okay bye bye yeah <laughs> it's a bit of a I was going to say gong show but something like that let's go to line number four good morning Moya you're on the air morning, Patty. How are you? I'm very well. First off, are you a Moya or a Moira? Moira. Moira. Okay, pardon me, because I grew up with a great friend of mine was a Moya, who spelled it, spelled it the same way, but Moira, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've called before, I must admit. I'm not Lady up in Roddington. <laughs> Anyways, I've had a challenge here. I came here for a refuge in 2015, and my journey is ending now. And it's been really, really hard. And at the crux of it is I haven't been able to establish any kind of care or welcome in the community where I'm too. And uh, it's hard. And I guess I just want to say that today I saw on VOCM, which is what really triggered me to call, that John Abbott is announcing something about housing. And I was approved 30 months ago for $40,000 worth of funding. That would have been my own money coming out of this house so that I could stay in this house because there was no long-term care available for me. And I didn't want to go anyways. I wanted death with dignity in place. And so I pursued this for myself in the system to get medical assistance in dying because I couldn't get support in living. And there's something ethically wrong with that in a province where what I'm asking for is free <laughs> and basically my human rights. And uh, I don't know, 
want to emotionally talk. That's why I don't really call anymore. But I'm dying here in this community without access, without dignity, without care, without health care. And it's just surreal. And there's no reason for it. And it's just sad. When I, when I, when I, when I, when I, when I, when, when, that, that's neurological. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> when I, when I listen to these ridiculous things that I, I see every now and then on Twitter and I see on Facebook, like where we have shame is going on about this, like we're going to give you X amount of dollars and this is a good thing. I'm freezing to death. I almost froze to death here. And Newfoundland Labrador Housing wouldn't even put me up or wouldn't even give me access to my own grant money. I've been wholly approved for $40,000 worth of funding. What's the hold up there? So if you've been approved for funding, what's the hold up? How come you can't get access to it? The hold up is that the scopes of work that provided by the by the NLHC engineers were wholly inadequate and they required that I put in a 36 inch wheelchair ramp with a six foot landing where an electrical panel has to get replaced, which it can't get replaced on top of the six foot landing. And so basically I'm, and I'm only allowed to have a 32 inch door. So my 36 inch wheelchair ramp, I'm not sure why that's happening, but I only have a 32 inch door. So I'm forced to, leave a chair outside but i can't operate a chair because my arms are falling out like i have ehlers danlos like this is just ridiculous like they tell me that i have to get out of a shower using something called a super pole i just keep getting triggered and calling it a stripper pole but i haven't been able to lift my hands above my head for years that's why i didn't i lost a kitchen right like i can't get out of the bath like that so i get no bath because my house got condemned by the hydro the head of the hydro for the province of newfoundland labrador mr main and the newfoundland labrador housing refused to revise their scopes of work so that i could get quotes of work to continue the process with income support who don't have to give me a shelter benefit and have to give me an approval of the the payments back to the premier for the mortgage they're willing to put on my own home for forty thousand dollars. Moira, do you do yeah. you get any advocacy done by the folks at Cotta and L on your behalf? Have you ever tried to get some help navigating these waters with that organization? I did. I tried a fair amount, but by the time I kind of got connected to them, because Seniors NL did an amazing amount of advocacy for me, they worked so diligently together with the head of. Uh, mister who does vulnerable people to help vulnerable people but they couldn't go any further because you know at the end of the day i guess they're not going to budge right and they consider me not a vulnerable person because i'm aware that this is happening to me like i know i'm experiencing this i know that so because I have cognitive capacity to understand that this is how my life is coming to an end here, uh, they can't consider me vulnerable. Like, it's just bizarre. Like, so basically, like, I'm really well seasoned in this. I've been an advocate for my entire life. I was born with Ehlers-Danlos. Like, I didn't know I had it, and this was what it all was really until recently and that was just to qualify me for my medical assistance in dying it was like why can't i stand up why can't i i do this stuff why can't like how come i'm i can't 
walk or lift my hands above my head or why do I keep dislocating like this? And I mean, and my cardio and my vascular system just got so distraught by no treatment because I have no treatment. They won't even give me pain medication. I need one drug, Patty, one drug, one drug to stay alive. 350 bucks. I took it all the way to the top of the NLPD complaint channel to the medical officer. I said, I need one drug to stay alive. 350 bucks. They said, no, we will not cover it. I asked income support, Mr. John Abbott, would he allow me to work to earn the money? Because they will not allow me to work because I am a person with a disability and because I am a caregiver who requires two hours of care to get me up out of this bed and bathe, I am not allowed to work in my chair for anybody else. So I can't even earn the money for my drugs that I need. One drug, 350 bucks a month. I'm refused by the Minister of Health, Minister Osborne. I am refused used to be a caregiver to anybody or support like Mr. Castle. Because, I mean, there's plenty of things you can do and make money while in the confines of your chair at your home. I know, but the Minister of of Health says I'm not allowed. No, no, that wasn't a crack aimed at you. That's a crack aimed at them. Oh, yeah. And, And I feel very, very very oppressed by this right because i feel as a person with a disability i was always under caps for the amount of money that i was allowed to earn to get the peripheral benefits like pharmacare Mm -hmm. because with a federal canadian disability you don't get that but i'm only allowed to earn six thousand dollars so you want to say by the time i'm at this stage these are the hardest years for any senior 60 to 65 because you know, a lot of seniors are getting cut off because they go and they accept their whatevers and then they get cut off income support and they lose all those peripheral benefits. Like there's all kinds of things like this. These are these are what they call gaps and cracks in the system. And I'm losing my life to them and I've spent my life delineating them. So anyways, um, like I guess I just want to say that the ethics of this in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador and specifically in Labrador Grenfell Health are really, really, really like wrong <laughs> and they're incongruent with mine. And uh, I love it here. It's a beautiful place to be. And I'm leaving a legacy for other people to come and have death with greater dignity. And thank you for letting me say this. I'm happy to let you say it, and I'm sorry to hear the entirety of the story and the inconsistencies with government policy. So we're talking about unable to offer appropriate supports and end up making decisions like you have faced is just, it's egregious, and it's wrong. And I thank you for your time. I'm not sure if I should say I wish you well, but I do. (laughs) And uh, you're always welcome to join us again if you'd like to, Moira. Thank you very much. Take good care. Okay, you're wonderful. Okay. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Not to take away from that important conversation, but apparently at the bank, they are mandated by law to cash a federal government check up to the value of $1,500 with no haulback. Don't know why that's not extended to a, a provincial check as well, but someone may just made an interesting point that I, uh, I saw out of the corner of my eye just a second ago. Is that with the ability now for mobile deposit, 
and you know so you can just you know some banks you can take a picture and you can just send the check the picture of the check in and then it appears in your account i don't know if that comes with an automatic hold but the gentleman made the point that you could do that to a couple of different banks if you have a couple of different accounts like i do and you could make a withdrawal for the same 500 bucks from a couple of banks hmm. But if it's extended to a federal check, you think it could be to a provincial government check. Let's see here. Yeah, I mean, Fabian makes the same point. He says, banks are holding funds because people have been taking pictures and deposit, then go change the check at a financial institution like a payday loan operation. Someone ends holding the $500 bag. Let's take a break. When we come back, heat pumps and talking about insurance. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Mike. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Hi, Mike. Well, recently I bought a new snowblower for doing a cabin road, basically. I live on a cabin road now. I sold my house to St. John's, and I moved out to the cabin, and anyway, I found the road. So I went to get a license in that, and I had to have insurance. So I went to get insurance. Well, I'm in two or three days now trying to get insurance, and it is next to impossible. I got to go and get a commercial license, and... Then I got to have work orders and that and everything done. I rated the business, and I can only use that where I got a work order for it. So, and that's only on property that the person who got the work order owned, say, like a lot or somewhere like that, or his driveway over here to his cabin. So just so hold on a second, Mike. You have like a snowblower that you stand behind and pull the trigger and just walk behind a snowblower. You have to insure it? No, no. This is a big commercial snowblower. It's a big, well, it's not a, well, it's a farm tractor with a big snowblower on it. Okay. It's a, the tires on the back are about five feet high. Okay, fair enough. I didn't know what we were talking about. Yeah, and I got a backhoe, too, that I use from down the road. Anyway, I'm getting this thing that, uh, oh, no, this got me all commercial and that, whatever, and then there's still limitations. And then they're telling me, I said, what about, have I got a pickup truck? I can plow the road with it. They said, no, you can't. If you've got a personal pickup truck, you got to plow onto it. But the minute you drop that plow off your property, you've got no insurance. So if I goes down the road to do a neighbor, if uh, i got a plow on my truck for doing my driveway, and I goes down the road to plow somebody else, i got no insurance as soon as I drop that plow. And a lot of people don't know what goes on with the loopholes that these people got. Now, I'm doing a road that had a sign onto it stating by the Department of Highways that this road was no longer maintained, use at your own risk. The sign is gone. So I got to plow the road to get access for uh, emergency equipment and that stuff. If I don't, my house insurance is no good to me because it's got to be accessible for emergency equipment, fire trucks or whatever. So anyway, the sign is gone. Now I went to the Department of Highways. I'm not allowed to put up a sign myself not allowed if i do get one i gotta apply for it then if i do get permission to put it up they got to come out and measure it up tell me how big the letters are what color they got there everything about it they got design and i got to put it up in the meantime they says they don't have one they said and if i do ever get one it's going to be next march after the winter so all of this stuff is there for the insurance companies with all of these loopholes with commercial insurance and everything else. And then I find out that normally I don't have insurance on my skidoos and that and bikes and arrows and that and stuff because I don't go on uh, any trails and that or anything. I leave the cabin here and 
it's all open country. Now I'm planning a trip to the West Coast. I'm going to use the trails. I want to get insurance on my skidoos. So I want to get insurance on the bike and the Argo and all the rest of it. Now, the Argo is classified as, as a commercial vehicle. I got to have a commercial okay. uh, thing to get my Argo insured. And there's thousands and thousands of Argos out there. And the insurance starts for the commercial at $20,000 a year. So, like, where do I stand to? Where do where do I go to? The insurance got me whichever way that I, for, for me to do it right and proper and legal and all the rest of it, I've got to pay the insurance company. Insurance starting at $20,000. Then, plus, I still got my homeowner's policy and three vehicles that I'm paying $500 a month for. And it's just totally ridiculous. And this thing about that, oh, if you plows the road, you're liable. I, I don't get it. Like, if I plows the road and somebody comes down and sits and somebody goes off the road or hits somebody or kills somebody, why am I responsible when I'm not even there because I plowed the road? It's, it's getting to the point of ludicrous of how our society, you know how the insurance company told me? Well, that's the way we are. That's the way our society works. That's it. Put up with it. And this is all a money-making racket for the, for the insurance companies, as far as I'm concerned. Damn. And we need some laws there, something, something to protect us. Because legally, there now, if you got a cabin road, mm-hmm. the cabin owner cars a contractor to come in to plow the road for them, and they don't own the road, that contractor got to make sure that he's got insurance that he can plow a public road. Of course. Right? Yeah. Which is over the $20,000. You got to have extra insurance for that because you found a public road and not just parking lot. Fair enough. I mean, there's nothing cheap about dealing with an insurance company, regardless of it's a commercial enterprise or not. Late for the news, Mike. Appreciate the time. Good luck with it. <laughs> so far, it's been very good. <laughs> All right, thank you. Okay, all the best. Bye-bye. All right, it is time for the news break. Edgar, appreciate your patience. He's there to talk about the old heat pumps. Don't go away. Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Uh, Welcome back. All right, let's get Edgar on, too. Edgar, you're on the air. Hey, good morning. How are you this morning? Couldn't be better. How about you? Good. 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 Can't really hear you, Edgar. Go ahead. Try again. <laughs> What's he working on there, Dave? I couldn't hear that. Edgar, are you there? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, you go ahead. <laughs> okay, Patty, I yeah. listened to you earlier this morning there before you started. And you uh, hit the nail right on the head there when you started talking about heat pumps. So I don't know if anybody realized or not, the uh, central heat pump, you know how much effort it takes to start up? How much energy? Yeah, how much energy, effort, or voltage, or uh, some people cause an amperage or whatever? Uh, no, do you know? Yeah, well, those central heat pumps, there's no generators around here going to start them up. Uh, the missus was on there just now talking about getting a generator or whatever. If she gets a heat pump, you can forget about starting that up with a generator unless you've got a real big one like Furls or Wears or someone that got, got got in their construction yards, something like that, right? 
Well, here's what I read about it. And you're right. It's a whopping big unit to, to uh, run a heat pump and any other necessities in oh, the home. Yes. Here's what I found because uh, I looked it up. A generator of 7,200 to 15,000 watts or 7.2 kilowatt or 15 kilowatt, uh, kilowatt is needed to run a heat pump. HVAC contractors recommend generators of 7.5 kilowatt to 20 kilowatts for heat pumps to make sure there's enough power to run the heat pump and other necessities like lights in the refrigerator. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And uh, an oil furnace? You can almost run it with a car battery. Oh, it's certainly not energy intensive to run it, no. Oh, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's just like okay. a, a little liquid fan that you got in your bedroom. Same thing. The same as a 110, uh, 110 fan motor on it. And when I start my generator to run my furnace, you don't you don't even know it's going. I'm using the kitchen stove, and I got liquid heaters on downstairs, and the whole works. But the heat pump, forget it. You're not going to have no heat, man. Yeah, I mean, if you're relying to run your heat pump on a generator, you need a, a sizable, powerful unit, undoubtedly. And you got to have some second source of heat. I mean, uh, there's no good for the government to look at you and say, we're going to give you $10,000 put in a central heat pump, fire out the oil stove and, uh, and the furnace and all that because uh, of uh, carbon. You know, I mentioned you one time before. Anybody ever read the Bible? All this is in the Bible, like hundreds and thousands of years ago. This was going to happen. What was? I'm sorry. What? What was going to happen? Uh, so uh, says the Bible. This, all this earthquakes and storms and all this old stuff. There's there, is written there. All you got to do is open the page and read it. And that's been written for ages, long before government came here. Okay. Yeah, just just open the book and read it, man. Like, just tell Jerry Burns and all those guys, uh, open the book and read it. And not to be saucy, but what would that get me? Well, the, 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 everything in the world that's happening now is going to happen anyway. Whether we're burning gas, oil, we're, whatever we're doing. Like, Well, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, yeah, but. I, I, I am then. Well, fair enough. If you're convinced by the Bible on the catastrophes of the earth, fair enough. Was not for me to tell you not to be. No, I don't. I don't read the Bible every day. I'm not that kind of a religious guy or nothing like that. But there is, there is things in there that's coming true, like earthquakes and storms. Look what happened down in Port of Bass. You know, like that's that's uh, on on real. That is, I mean, that's that's someone. Uh, Someone that haven't read anything to can't understand what's going on there. Right? Well, I mean, the, the warming sea temperatures absolutely does amplify the severity and how far these hurricanes can travel and the uh, the severity of the post-tropical storms that hit our, our coasts. Because, I mean, uh, it's just the facts of the matter. That's just the, that's the science behind it. So what influences that? There's a variety of influences, and one of it is absolutely uh, regarding emissions. I mean, it just is. I mean, I don't need the Bible or anyone else to tell me that. No. Well, okay, that's all right. That's you, and this is me. But anyway, <laughs> I, got a, I got a 200 amp service in my house. One of the, there's not a, not a whole house, it's not very old. And I got two heat pumps, one in each garage. I got two garages. One garage is fairly big, and the other one is just 24 by 36. And the effort it takes to cut it in, you wouldn't believe. And they got separate mass. I guess tree light bills come. And the effort that it takes, like I said, people should check it out. 
what do I need to start this up when the power goes for 10 or 12 days? Because it's going to happen this winter. I can tell you that. Why is that? Because of what they're trying to do here with muskrat balls. All they got to do is get someone in and fix it and run it. No, nobody around here can't run that. Well, if it was as simple as that, I suppose it would be fixed. But we're not yeah, going to be... Yeah, no, I doubt it. Okay. Um, Muskrat Falls implications won't be this winter because it's not even it's not even fully commissioned yet. Well, I guess the powerhouse okay. is, but the transmission oh. lines and the links are a problem. So it won't be a yeah. Muskrat Falls related matter. But in years to come, I mean, the consultants that looked at it, I mean, we're talking about 1,100 kilometers that goes through the Long Range Mountains. The possibility for prolonged blackouts is very, very real. Oh. Liberty Consulting That's said you might have instances where we might be looking at 45 days without yeah. power, which is exactly. something else, which means that Holy Road is not going away. Put it that way. Yeah. Uh, 19, 1993, we had a big one. Uh, I was working with Hydro at the time, uh, uh, fixing their vehicles and whatever, keeping them going, keeping them running. John Turner was his name in uh, Grand Falls. He was the supervisor there, and he gave me a lot of work because I, I kept them going so much as I could. But I tell you one thing, buddy, we all suffered then. Yeah, I wasn't here in 93, so I don't remember it personally. Edgar, oh, appreciate the, I appreciate the time, sir. I'm going to sneak in another room before the break. Yeah, and uh, quickly, quickly. Uh, the, the government wants to concentrate on the people in the, on the island here that uh, built this island before 1949 of uh, feeding, clothing, and sheltering before he starts at anybody else. So to help seniors? Help seniors, of course. No, no, I'm not going to get an argument from me. We got seniors here, man. I'm telling you, they're hungry. Yes, I know. We just had one here died, the one I've been looking after all along, down her snow and everything. She just died, and she was hungry. Poor woman was hungry, I'm telling you. Oh, I look, I know. I hear the stories yeah. every single day. Well, if someone in the government is not weeping a tear down over their eyes now, they got no heart. I can tell you that now. I appreciate the time, Edgar. No one's going to argue okay, that we go with the seniors more and better. Yeah. Thank you very much. All the best. Have a good one. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, let's go to line number one. Bill, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Uh, Patty. Yes. D- did you hear anything about Anton uh, for the people of Spurn Electricity? No. There was a relief check for folks who were using oil. Yeah. And no, I haven't heard anything else in so far as relief for folks who re- rely in full on electricity. No, I haven't, Bill. I, th- I thought that uh, I thought they would come up with something for the month of January or the month of February or something. Well, you know what? I try to stay on top of this stuff, but I don't think I can remember anything about support for those who are just using electricity. I don't think so. No, because I never heard anything on open line, right? No, because if it was happening and if I heard about it, I'd be sure to talk about it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We got another bad blow here in Trapassi. We're losing our home depot. We're losing our, our, our lumber yard and our all the, the home depot stuff. Well, who's out there? Who operates the, that store out there? Uh, Hicks's. Hickey's. Uh, oh, is it okay? Yeah. They have Home Hardware in, in, uh, in Whitless Bay, and they have another one in Peter River. Okay, very good. Hicks's. So the one in Trabassi is closed in the last of December. 
So there's nothing out there to replace that, I don't there's imagine. There's nothing out there. you got to go to Cape Royal now to get a pound of nails. Oh, my. So I think the one that drive us out of her altogether. First you lost your ambulance, and then you lost your home hardware. Yeah. And the beach is down on that touch since the time we had that hurricane. Oh, that's right, too. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, not touched yet. Yeah, I know. It's destroyed. Yeah, destroyed just by... But anyhow, we'll have to try to keep it afloat somehow. I suppose we do. Yeah, OK, Paddy, thank you very much. My pleasure, Bill. Take care. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Uh, OK, break time. When we come back, Samantha's in the queue to talk about the obstet- obstetrics unit in Gander. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number four. Rhonda, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you today? I'm doing OK, thank you. How about you? I'm doing pretty good, considering. Um, the lady you were talking to from Roddington. Mm-hmm. Moira. Uh, you were talking to a little while ago. And um, my heart is actually broken. Listen to her, her story today. And I want her to know she's not alone. She is not alone. And if... If she lives closer, I would go to her and tell her that. A lot of people are suffering. A lot of people have uh, different health issues. And I'm in the same boat as she's in. I have a husband that's not well and two elderly parents. And um, it's a battle. It's an uphill battle trying to get uh, work done uh through Eastern Health, and I can say this, the minister put trust in him. He's a good man. He was a good man before he entered politics, and he's a good man now. The problem is legislation got to change. It starts at, it starts at the Confederation Building. Things need to change. They need to recognize that there's people out there that have disabilities, that have shortcomings, don't don't have the money to uh, upgrade their homes, keep their homes heated, put food on the table, and and some people are in lack of home care. Home care right now, it's a lack for everybody because they're short-staffed. I know a couple of areas here on the Avalon, and they're desperately looking for uh, people to go to work. And this lady uh, uh, assisted um, suicide is not the way out. No, it's not. Right? It's not the way out. One more day. No one knows what tomorrow is going to bring. Right? She needs to look at this and weigh, you know, lean on her friends. If she don't have friends, reach out to us. Like, there's always people to help. Um, call 1-800 or 1-811, and they will put her in the right direction. Community Health has all kinds of supports. And they will help. But don't give up on the minister. He is... He's an advocate. 
himself for years, and he has a heart of gold. I don't know him personally, but I've been watching and following uh, before he came back as a politician, and I'm very keen on uh, watching who gets in and who gets the vote. And um, our minister, he's trying his best. He really is. And, like, I'm in need, just like she is, but I'm putting my trust in him to make those changes, to bring it to the House, to voice what needs to be voiced for people like us and like our senior citizens. Because if you go to any mall, you will see seniors congregated together, um, trying to keep warm, having, having coffee, and just hanging out. Because it's too, it's too much to heat their homes, mm-hmm. and it's cheaper to go to the mall and uh, get a muffin and a coffee for lunch. Right. Right. I understand. There's a lot of issues this province is facing right now, and um, they need they need to put their heads together and pull it together. Because like it is. A lot of people in the same shoes that she's in, this lady's in, and don't see a way out. And there's times I feel the same way. And especially then I look at my elderly parents. My father says, what happened to the the golden years? Right? And, like, there's nothing golden about it. Years ago, seniors enjoyed their retirement, but they don't anymore because they're wor- worrying um, what's going to come next, right? Is the windows going to blow out of the house? Is the shingles going to blow off the roof? Uh, where am I getting money to put food on the table, right? And, and, like, it's sad because I think this lady is all alone. And she doesn't have to be. Right. I mean, the system is top-heavy, and there are some fixes that are available. They really are. Now, nothing moves quick inside of government, but I'm curious to hear that you have faith in the changes being made. I hope they are. Uh, Rhonda, when you're feeling the way that I, I'm just guessing that you sometimes do, like uh, the despair kicks in and what have you, who do you talk to? Who do you deal with? Do you have... Do you have counseling? Do you reach out to anyone in particular? Do I you? do have counseling. Okay. And uh, the FACT team, F-A-C-T, um, they're approachable. Uh, you know, there's always them. I have my husband. I have my parents. And um, myself, we did have a not-for-profit set up in our community before I got really sick with the cancer. And we used to put our time and energy into crafting. And it's amazing what a craft can do for you. Like any hobby that you like to do, try to do it. And like the outcome, it like even if it's whatever, sewing, knitting, playing instruments, um, uh, doodling, whatever. 
like it takes your mind away from the current problems. And like I pity that lady with the medication. I think the government needs to step up. They're cutting away medication. Like my mother has to pay for heart meds and they're very costly. And like she has to do that to survive. And like the money sometimes like it straps people. Of course it does. Just so people uh, uh, know what we're talking about, because sometimes I do the same thing, Rhonda. We use acronyms and uh, thinking that everybody knows what they are. But the FACT teams, they launched back in 2020. And I think I got this straight. It's the Flexible Assertive Community Treatment Teams. That's what the FACT teams are. Yeah. They, they, um, <laughs> they're um, trained nurses mm-hmm. and social workers, and they will help you um if you're in crisis mentally and if an individual needs um, medication and needs to have it at a certain time, uh, they see to it that that person gets their medication. Because I uh, know someone in St. John's and that he, he needs medications certain times and don't take it and they help him that way. Uh, they're a listening ear. They're human. They're just like us. They have, they have their problems in that too. But they reach out and they help where they can help. They advocate to get the help for those who need it. And right. they're, they're 24 on your behalf. Sure, they're 24 hours a day too. Uh, so that's an important. Uh, no, I don't think they're 24 hours. Oh a no, day. I'm sorry. They're seven days a week, um, eight to eight. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, you can dial eight one one. Yep. And they will give you all the information that you need to get the help that you need, regardless of mental health and addiction. Because it's a big problem. A lot of people in a province don't want to see what's really going on. But it's a big problem, and it needs to be put needs to be put to rest. Rhonda, I'm really pleased that you made time for us this morning, albeit through very difficult circumstances. So I wish you I, well, and thanks for this. I'll give you the you final word. I can have one more second. You can. I don't want her to end up like a few friends of mine. Please, please think. And if you want to reach out, reach out. Because there's people willing to listen and willing to help. And don't give up on the system. It takes a long time. But just don't hang on. There's always tomorrow. Thank you, Rhonda. Take care. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Sometimes the simple message is the most powerful message. Um, And look, you, you can absolutely call here. And we have contact points and organizations and numbers that we can put you on to. And the summary message is, you know, access to long-term mental health care is, is, is currently 
there's lots of shortcomings in the system but there is help out there and there are people to talk to and there's plenty of people that care and so if you need us to help put you on to some of these people and to help navigate the provincial system or talk with folks like at Jacob Potterster Memorial Foundation or at Wellness Together or Channels Warmline or Bridge the Gap Double P or 811 we can help help you sort that out so i'm glad ronda called let's take a break for the newscast when we come back samantha appreciate your patience she wants to talk about one of the uh units out of the gander hospital don't go away every saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin the cabin party with brian o'connell saturday night starting at 7 p.m on vocm welcome back to the show let's go quick line one rob you're on the air Hey, Patty, how you doing? Uh, just uh, just give the listeners a, a go there. Um, the Holyrood Access Road, or Liam Hickey, um, is closed off at the highway. Um, you, you, can't, you can't get on there. There's a tractor trailer that was up there the other day and slid back down and went off on the side of the road, and they're trying to do the recovery right now. Um, I was talking to a fellow there. He said it's going to be down for the day. So Holyrood Access closed. Liam Hickey Way closed for the day. Yes. Avoid at all um, cost. Okay, Rob, that's a good update. Cost. And, you know, it, it, it would be nice to if uh, they had some set up down, down in Holyrood there just for the roundabout or whatever and let people know before they go travel all the way up there and then have to turn around at the uh, electrical union. Well, I appreciate the heads up. So for the traveling public, if you're planning on using the Holyrood Access Road, the Liam Hickey Way, you can't today. Exactly. Thanks for this. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Bye-bye. Here we go. Okay, now, Samantha 3. Samantha, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to do uh, it. I appreciate your patience. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to call in um, as a resident of Gander and a young mom and talk about the potential permanent closure of the obstetrics unit here in Gander. So, um, as you know, I'm, a, I'm sure you're aware that the Health Accord has recommended that the government... Um, or recommended to the government that there only be one OBS unit in central Newfoundland. And they recommended that unit be in Grand Falls and to permanently close the one in Gander. So a final decision is going to be coming very, very soon from the government. So I'm trying to get my voice out there and make other people aware of what's going on. So what is going on? You say a potential permanent closure. You've been told that or that's the rumbles going around? Nope, this is what this is what we've been told. Okay. So there's a steering committee that was put together um, to decide on the location. And this is chaired by Sister Elizabeth Davis and Joanne Pelly, the VP of Operations um, in Central Health. And the committee membership is heavily weighted towards Grand Falls Windsor. So the decision is going to be made based on a vote. And so if it's heavily weighed towards Grand Falls, I mean, it's kind of inevitable what that decision is potentially going to be. So the Health Accord and, and the Steering Committee is saying Grand Falls is more suitable because Gander has had nursing shortages for the unit. But organizational and administrative failures are not an adequate reason to remove a core hospital service. I mean, I have issues with government, especially male decision makers, making decisions about my reproductive health and if I can deliver my baby safely in my own town. So... To, to take the service away from a town that's rapidly growing, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, Gander's population has grown 20% in the last 10 years, and Grand Falls-Windsor's is just 4%. Patty, we, we, have, we have an airport here, okay? That is a critical element for transportation. Um, premature babies and, and, and whatnot, or, or other things that may arise, um, you know, we're five minutes away from an airport in, in that situation. 
Yeah, I mean, I know the Health Accord does talk about trimming certain offerings in certain places based mm-hmm. on demand. So, you know, and I've seen them make these types of references, and in particular OBGYNs and their clinics. Mm-hmm. So do you happen to know, you had the population growth numbers. I didn't realize it was as much as 20% over 10 years. Do you happen to know how many babies are born at the Gander Hospital in the last what, whatever time frame you want to use, 5, 10 years? Um, in the last five years? Yeah, I'm just wondering if you happen to know. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. No, that's okay. So um, the Gander Hospital has been on a, di- on a diversion to Grand Falls for the last number of years, um, periodically. Um, so the numbers are kind of skewed right now to say how many babies have been have been born here or from our region, either um, from, the, from the Gander region, because they've been diverted for so long. But I mean, I can tell you, I, I know a number of people who have had babies, especially recently in the last few months, that the Grand Falls Hospital is overwhelmed right now with babies and nurses, you know, like they're doing their best and they're great nurses, but they're so overwhelmed. And, you know, moms aren't getting the care they need. Babies aren't getting the care they need. So, I mean, it really is not a service gander can afford to lose. We, we service um, so many people in, in our outline areas like Musgrave Harbor and New West Valley and Gambo. And so we're telling them that they now had to drive two and a half hours to get to the hospital when they might be in labor over these horrible roads. I'm sure you know what the roads are like I at do. night, maybe in the winter. Okay, so Patty, that's like I'm from Gander. So let's say, um, Samantha, you're, you're in active labor. You need to drive to Whitburn now, two and a half hours away to deliver your baby. It just sounds preposterous. Yeah, I mean, these are the types of stories and considerations. It's hard for me to put myself in your family's shoes because, of course, I live in pretty close proximity to an OBGYN and a clinic and an opportunity to deliver where I live. And, of course, my boys weren't even born here. My boys were born in Alberta, as a matter of fact. But so I don't – because the health accord said it, does that mean it's actually coming true? This is actively being taken away from the hospital in Gander or that's the worry based on what the health accord said? This is what's being recommended to the health accord and so, or to the government, sorry. And so, um, and like I said, like it's all based on a vote. Um, things are heavily weighted in Grand Falls, Windsor. And, um, but, and I'm not saying Grand Falls losers at all. I'm just saying government needs to find a way to make it work in both. Hard to argue that. Um, you know, and some people need some continuous care from their OBGYN, too. It's not just the first appointment, go in for an ultrasound, come back to deliver. Some people have complicated pregnancies that need that type of service. Absolutely. You're back and forth for appointments. You're, um, you know, like you may think you're in labor and you show up and they send you home again. So I don't, like, it's not a, not a realistic option for a lot of people who live in communities, um, not necessarily in Gander, you know. Like I said, people who are an hour and a half away from gander that is um then have to drive two and a half hours for an appointment and um patty like there is going to be linear effects from this as well so um there's pediatric doctors who take care of these newborns but they also have other things um that they do too like in teenagers they um, offer adhd type um care and support so but if the babies aren't here they're not going to be here either. They're eventually going to go. The gynecology services are also going to be going. Like it's it's a linear effect, and it's all going to come down, and it's going to have really negative results on our community. And like I said, it's only growing. Our school we just built two new big schools, um, so there's a lot of growth happening in Gander, and it just it doesn't make sense to take something away from from a community that's only growing and has like I said airports and and other services to offer to these young moms and 
and whoever else. I mean, women in general, families, you know, people who have grandchildren. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a long drive for about a Braxton Hicks. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Samantha, you say you're a young mom. How many children do you have? I have one. She's two years old. Cute. And I was lucky enough to deliver in Gander myself. Um, there wasn't uh, a diversion at the time. Um, it was in the middle of COVID. And um, it was a very fearful time all the same. But, I mean, an added um, fear of having to drive the highways just would have been, you know, um, more difficult at the time. And what's her name? Her name is Anna. Anna. So two is when Christmas becomes a little bit more of a big deal versus just yanking tinsel off the tree. Yes, I'm very excited for it, though. I bet you are. Listen, I hope you have a great Christmas with you and your family, and thanks for bringing this up this morning. Thank you so much for listening, Patty. Take care, Samantha. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Oh, wait, no, I'll put her on hold. Dave, I got her quick enough there, I think. Uh, can you check? Okay, there you go. Uh, final break of the morning. So I mentioned the Jacob Patterson Memorial Foundation. They offer mental health services and counseling to youth between 18 and 35, I think is the number. And uh, they had closed their wait list because of the overwhelming demand. It looks like they're going to reopen that wait list on December the 1st. That's good news. Let's take a final break of the morning. Final break of the week. There's a caller looking for someone up Mount Pearl to give them a hand with what? We'll find out. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let us go. Line number two. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. Good morning. And uh, good, I, I was talking to Dave. To, uh, I'm uh, six, 76 years old, and I need somebody once in a while to give me a hand to shovel out my steps so I can get out. Because I have a son, and he's uh, off uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. So if I could get someone to give me a call and say if we happen to have a, a snow, a bit of a snowstorm, uh, in between those days, probably they could call me. But now they don't need to call me six or seven days a week. So that's the only thing I'm looking for, a bit of uh, uh, auxiliary help. <laughs> I'm sure we can get you that. So you're in Mount Pearl, are you? Yeah. Okay. So if there's someone with a strong back and a bit of time and I want to help, and you can help shovel out the steps. So I don't imagine you got a yes. big... I'm sorry? No, no, it's just average driveway in that, but I, I can't do it myself. I understand. So uh, I think you had numbers there before. I did. I think I... Uh, I there was remember. a group, there was a shovel brigade. I'm trying to remember now exactly who that was. And I don't think it was in Mount Pearl all the same. I think it was yeah. a townie uh, gang. Uh, but I tell you what, if you want to give your number out for someone who's around your area that wants to have an initial conversation and be able to pop over every now and then to give you a hand shoveling, you can do that it's here only, on the show. It's only now and then. It's not all the time. Yeah, no problem. But I'll, I'll give it to Dave, will I? You can give it right out over the air if you want, or you can just leave it with Dave. That's up to you. Well, I'll, I can give you the number, 368-7542. Okay. okay, so if uh, you'd like to help the 76-year-old gentleman shovel out the steps in an average-sized driveway when the snow comes throughout the winter, 368... Only now, only now and then, yeah, not fair, every day. Fair enough, <laughs> just every now and then. 368-7542, if you want an arrangement, set up an arrangement and have a uh, further conversation, call that number. Hopefully we get you some help. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. Okay. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, final word of the week goes to line number three. Jason, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Grand. You? Oh, not bad, boy. Not bad. Good. Uh, 
the reason I'm calling that today is that I got like a little bit of concern or wonder um, with the nurses recruiting over in Indiana and stuff. Uh, like my daughter is going through that course and all that here month. And we have to help her get licensed, like uh, her licensing the, the pass and all that, anywhere from 1500 probably to $2,000. Now, the family and all that's going to chip in and help her out. We're going to make sure that she gets it. But my wonder is, with all this recruitment that's on the go over in India now, who is going to pay for their licensing? Is it going to be the provincial government where we had to pay for our own? I, I really don't know the answer to that. No. And, not, like, nobody seems to know. Like, from I watched the news there last night, and it seems like my way of taking it was that they're going to give them the licensing once he does the exam over there. Like, I don't think that's right. If it is all possible, that that's what they're going to do. Well, I don't know. I mean, they're talking about streamlining the process to get licensed. Whether that includes paying for the licensing, I don't know. But it, it very likely could be the case because I guess when you're trying to attract someone to move from in this case, India, to Newfoundland and Labrador, some incentives would have to be in play versus come on over and enjoy the winter. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, in, in, in other words, what I'm trying to get at, like, these should have been going through the same process as what our students are going through, like having to pay for the course themselves. And that, like, my daughter is going to be sending herself in May or June or something like that. Now, we're talking about bringing over these nurses from India in the early spring. Like, are they going to be flooding, flooding the hostels within that where my daughter is going to come out of this nursing and then there's nothing here for her that no. she's got to move away? That's not going to happen. <laughs> there's no I, way. I hope not. Well, I mean, the Registered Nurses Union says they have 600 vacancies. There's no way we're bringing 600 nurses from India. Well, I mean, there it is without coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I, I would you imagine. <clears throat> the math is pretty yeah. clear, though. You know, if you take the number of graduates uh, set to come out of uh, nursing schools here in the province over, let's just say, the next two years, there's no way that we can jeopardize their opportunities to work here. We've just come so far to try to do something about filling the gaps that, look, I, I would be absolutely shocked if there's any more than 100 nurses recruited from anywhere outside the country in the next couple of years by the time your daughter is uh, on the floor in her whites doing her nursing I'd be 100% yeah. shocked yeah that's right yeah I would be too like but you never you never know what our government the way that they're going because like even last night I heard Jerry Burns saying that he was uh, looking to get the numbers increased for for immigration and, and whatnot like anything is possible like I wouldn't have put a pass our government right yeah yeah. Uh, well, uh, let's hope that they've got a little bit more fo uh, foresight on this one. Jason, I appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Good luck to you and your daughter. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. All right. So a couple of quick notes. Uh, Duan Street says the shovel brigade was her and John Rich. That was during Snowmageddon. You're right. But there was another formal group. I think it may have even been operated out of Seniors NL. Maybe they had it organized. I'll figure it out. So enjoy the downtown St. John Santa Claus parade this weekend. Wanted to put that out there. And let me check uh, Ali's email here quick. Um, okay, so 
quick, quick shout out to the uh, last Saturday night in Mount Pearl Soccer Association. They inducted players and builders into the Hall of Fame. Leah Blackburn O'Grady, Mark Reddy, love Mark Reddy. Allison Jones, Mallory Harris, what a player. Keith Smith, congratulations to all. Big thanks to Mike Oliver for letting me know that. All right, we're out of time. Big thanks to everyone who supports the program, and we will indeed pick up this conversation again on Monday morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy weekend. Go Canada, go. Talk to you Monday. Bye-bye.